Love is a, is a choice of the will, is a commitment of the will. Yeah. It's, it's not, I mean, the feelings come and go, but when I, when I choose to love, I can actually grow in love. I right. don't fall in love, I grow in love. Welcome to the Light Switch Podcast by Luminate Student Ministry, a place for the skeptic, the Bible believer, as well as everyone in between. As you know, our world is often in the dark. Our hope is to flip the switch on topics surrounding biblical engagement, apologetic arguments, spiritual formation, and emotional wellness. We want Jesus Christ to illuminate every aspect of your life so that you can shine the light of Christ in every situation. Hey everyone, Pastor Aaron here. The intent of this episode is to focus on what it means to love God and others with our sexuality and in our relationships in the unique cultural moment that we find ourselves in. If you're anything like me, you listen to podcasts while you're working on a project, doing homework, mowing the lawn, whatever. Well, this episode, we encourage you to go on a mindful walk or sit down with a journal or even listen with a significant other. No matter your past or current belief, we encourage you to bring your thoughts and emotions to God because the subject matter of today's discussion on love, sex, and pornography can lead to reminders around hurt, anger, shame, guilt, unforgiveness, pridefulness, or resentment. There's a lot of information to take in over the next hour so sit back and take on the challenge. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody, we have a special episode for you guys today. We uh, have a special guest. He's one of my good friends. Uh, his name is Tom Robinson. Tom, say hello. 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 It's good to be here. Yes, yes. We're very excited to have you. Uh, before we get to you, Tom, uh, I want to introduce what our topic is, and then I have some resources, and then we want to find out a little bit more about you, okay? Sounds great. So uh, today, the title of our episode is Love, Sex, and My Computer Screen. And our hope today is to unpack for you guys the world's idea of love versus the Bible's idea of love, the world's idea of sexuality and how the Bible's view of sexuality contrasts that. And then we're going to conclude today uh, looking at how pornography has actually caused a separation or even a dehumanization of the idea of love and sexuality. Um, so I want to give you guys some of the resources that we are pulling from right off the gun. Uh, so I'll, I'll say these slowly. You'll also be able to find them in our show notes uh, below if you just click the more You'll be able to find that. So uh, before I give you these resources, uh, I can't thank you guys enough for all of you who have liked, subscribed, and all that. We are actually almost to a 1,000 downloads uh, since we started the podcast back in January. Um, so that's pretty awesome. Uh, we would love for you guys to continue to like, share our podcast with people you think this might be beneficial for. Um, we can't thank you guys enough. That's the best compliment you can give us is to, uh, to like and share our podcast. Um, but also you can comment on Apple Podcasts or even on Spotify. So check that out. Uh, please leave us a comment. Um, and even a five-star review if you think it's good. Uh, we would love to, to hear your thoughts. All right. So now on to these resources. Uh, these resources that we have for you guys, uh, 
are coming a, a variety of different uh, approachabilities, um, but for the most part, they are all extremely accessible. I'll give them to you kind of in order of uh, accessibility. So the very first one that we're going to be talking about, since we are talking about uh, sexuality, is Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With by Sam Alberry. Uh, he is a same-sex attracted male who is writing on the idea of uh, why does why does sexuality matter? Why does God care about sexuality? Uh, and it's a really, really good, very approachable book. We actually read through it as a student ministry. Um, another book by Re- uh, Rebecca McLaughlin is her name. Uh, she wrote a book called The Secular Creed. She addresses an issue, uh, the kind of the... Uh, mantra of love is love. So she actually talks through that. She is also has grown up as a same sex attracted female. Um, she talks about that in this book, the sacred, the secular creed by Rebecca McLaughlin. So that's uh, books one and two there. Uh, third book here is kind of a history of how we've come to this spot. And that is entitled a strange new world. Uh, and this is how thinkers and activists redefined identity and, se- and sparked the sexual revolution by Carl R. Truman. Um, really good book. Talks through uh, the history of how we got here. And then uh, another book uh, that's uh, very approachable, again, by Rebecca McLaughlin, is 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity. Again, these are just some really simple, approachable books. She also wrote another book called Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. Uh, Again, all of these are really, really good books. Um, And I can't more highly encourage you guys to check those out. Um, And then uh, the last book that we have here is by John D. Basie. That's B-A-S-I-E. Uh, and that's Know, Be, and Live uh, by, again, edited by John D. Basie. Uh, and it's this whole um, idea of how to uh, approach the next generation with a 360-degree idea of discipleship. How do we disciple the whole person? Uh, and so they talk pretty heavily. We actually have some quotes that we're going to be talking about in here. All right, enough of the resources. Those will all be down in the show notes. You guys can check those out. Uh Let's get to our guest. Tom, thank you for being patient and uh, listening to our library we have there. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Tom, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell our audience who you are. I obviously already know who you are. We talk all the time. Um, but uh, let's just kind of get to know you. So, Tom, uh, tell me a little bit about, tell us a little bit about your uh, pastoral history, your experience. Um, you have a degree in uh, pastoral counseling, mm-hmm. right? So, tell us a little right. bit about that. So I'll start out, most important, I am married to my wife, Mm. Ruth Ann Robinson, for 40 years in June, which is exciting. that's coming up. Yes, it is. And we have uh, two girls, both are married. Our oldest has uh, three grandkids, and they all live in Tennessee. So that's exciting. Awesome. Um, One of the things about me, and I don't even know if I've shared this with you, Matt, I, I received my call into ministry in between my junior and senior year in high school, oh, okay. and which was specifically with youth ministry. So yeah. when I combined all in college, I was a youth pastor, and then with Youth for Christ, and then yeah. in church. So I've, the crazy thing is I've actually done, I've been involved in ministry for 50 years, I just realized. <laughs> I started really young. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> but um, yeah. more specifically, I've been you know a pastor, youth pastor, and then I switched to marriage and family. Yeah, and that I think one of the things I really saw was and that, how long did you do that for? Of like the the specifics of being a pastor to youth for thirty eight years, thirty eight years yeah. of doing pastoral. So ministry. the last ten of those was switching from youth and family mm-hmm. to marriage and family. Okay, and in fact, you know, reason I started out in youth ministry with the, my title was not just the youth pastor. Yes, but it was youth and family because mm-hmm. I really always have believed the family is just as important with yeah. the, and the kids and yeah. empowering parents yeah. to do that. So my wife and I act, have actually done premarital and marriage mentoring for f- almost the 40 years we've been, the full 40 years oh. we've been married. So, so you've had a couple crazy. conversations about yes, marriage, we, huh? <laughs> we have. And we just realized um, that it really is our passion. We love just helping and mentoring couples and struggling couples, but especially the younger couples on those first 15 years, we yeah. call that our kind of our sweet spot yeah. that we love. Yeah. So. yeah, I'll tell you right now, I, Katie and I have met with you guys. You guys are great when it comes to helping couples navigate those sticky situations. And man, I can't, I know Katie and I can't thank you enough uh, for how we, um, have been able to walk through a lot of the situations and stuff that have been going on in our lives. So I can't thank you enough for your guys's, uh, wisdom in those areas. Uh, so, okay. So pastoral ministry for 40 years, right? Right. And, and then you retired and you just recently retired. Right. About a year ago, uh, retired after being 29 years at one church and, um, which is unheard of, by the way. Like <laughs> yeah. to be 20, 29 years, to be more than ten years anywhere, right. is kind of unheard of in any position. But to have almost tripled that <clears throat> is kind of—I uh, don't even know the word. It's just that's crazy to think about. It, it, it was crazy, and it was it was a great experience. Like any church, there was challenges, yep. but boy, um, it was an incredible experience overall. Yeah. So from from retirement, my wife had started um, a ministry called Strong Foundations. Okay. And it was with the intent, you know, I was paid from the church to do ministry. Yeah. And my wife and I, we only meet with a couple as a couple. Okay. That's how we've always done it. Yeah. And we, I never asked the church to pay for Ruthann because that was not the setup. But right. people really started saying outside of Knox, we had couples say, hey, we value Ruth Ann. We yeah. want to pay her what she has to say. So yeah. we started Strong Foundations. And I jokingly said when I retired from Knox, if I could pass her interview process, <laughs> <laughs> she would hire me. Yeah. It took several interviews. I'm, I'm but sure. <laughs> I'm sure the, the, the screening process had to have oh, been it rigorous. Was, it was tough. Um, <laughs> but that's, I'm really not retired. I'm really semi-retired okay. because Ruth Ann, I... Uh, meet with a number of couples now, yeah. both in pre, as premarital, yeah, but also in a marriage uh, mentoring. And we we're very intentional in calling it. We're not doing premarital counseling or marriage counseling. It's yeah. called mentoring, yeah, because that really is our heart and passion. We Wonderful. tell couples once you start with this, you're stuck with us. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. And we want them to come back, and they have, yeah, you know, yeah. in a number of things, yeah, um, either. Even sometimes starting a family, they want to come back and process yeah. that. Yeah. And 
stuff like that. So Man. it's we just love it. I mean, we get energy from that. That's so cool. So your your kind of your mentoring company, if you will, I was going to call it a counseling company, but even just with what you said yeah. there, your mentoring company is called Strong Foundations. Yes. Uh, and they can, we can find that at strongfoundations.org. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, buildstrongfoundations.org. Okay. Buildstrongfoundations.org. And there's cool. a little video I did share all the details about our background on some things. Nice. We didn't even realize how we had a passion for marriages in our, in our singleness. We mm-hmm. weren't even dating and it came out. It was very oh, interesting. Man. That's, well, that's so on the, cool. that's on our website. Great. So. Yeah. So I'll put that in the uh, show notes so our audience can, uh can snag that. And uh, I'll just touch real quickly on how you and I met. Yes. So I came over to the West, sorry, we're on the East side, the East side (laughs) of the state in 2015, um, lived with our mutual friend, Jim Hughes, uh, who is the current youth pastor up at Knox Presbyterian. Um, And uh, he said, Hey, uh, Matthew, Katie, we know this great couple you should meet with them. And so we met with you guys and it was awesome. Um, and through that you had a heart to just meet with me. Right. And, uh, so we started meeting and, uh, I still remember the homework that you asked me to do. I would do while playing video games. And I was like 25. I was like a child. It was ridiculous. Uh, and you were very patient and you were very, uh, committed to meeting with me, which I still, question the wisdom (laughs) behind that um but uh yeah like i said we uh hit it off we've been meeting now oh my goodness i'm gonna be have been here uh eight months or eight years in oh my in may uh we moved in may yeah um and so it'll be eight years in may that we moved over here wow Uh, i think we started meeting almost immediately it might have been june july that we were meeting that summer Yep. And so we've been meeting for almost eight years. Yeah. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. And, and we're uh, still friends. I know. Even more I don't, I don't understand <laughs> that. Um, and so, man, we've gone through a lot of things and yeah. uh, you've been patient with me uh, through a lot of things, <laughs> um, which is part of the reason why I wanted to sit down with you uh, and talk to you about this, because I think. Uh, your skill set, right? You have a master's degree in counseling, right. um, pastoral counseling, specifically psychology and counseling. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so just being able to sit down with you and talk through how the world's perspective of love, sexuality, and, and how technology has kind of perverted that, yeah. uh, I think is something that, uh, we both can speak to. Yes. Um, but mainly I, I'm so excited to hear your perspective, especially with how many couples you've been counseling and or mentoring and and how you've you've kind of seen these distortions play out in marriages. Yeah. So um, let's take a second and uh, we'll jump into our topic. Sounds great. going to go through probably five parts here and they're going to be pretty quick. Um, so feel free to go back, take a listen. Um, and if you guys have any other questions about these topics, uh, or, or the resources that we have, feel free to ask. Um, but we're going to start off with the world's idea of love. 
And then we're going to contrast that to the Bible's idea of love. And then we're going to jump into the Bible's idea or the world's idea of sexuality versus the Bible's idea of sexuality and kind of conclude the whole thing with the culprit of technology and how technology has done that. And so for this, this, this segment, uh, let's talk about, uh, the world's idea of love. And Tom, you have a great definition of yeah, the world's I, idea of I love. I came here. across this several years ago, and I have actually used this a number of times in wedding ser- my wedding sermon when, uh, with couples. And it's, it goes like this. The world's concept of love is love is a feeling you feel when you feel that you're going to get a feeling that you've never felt before. <laughs> ah, yes. Yes, right there. That is that love. That is love. Can you, can you read that one more time for us? That is so crazy. Love is a feeling you feel when you feel that you're going to get a feeling that you've never felt before. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But you can see this idea is pervasive. Oh, so much. Yeah. I mean, you can see it from movies. Oh, there was a song that you said. Uh, yeah, this heard. will date me. Okay. This will really date me. Okay. But the song was, hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? <laughs> yeah, right? Like, it's just this this idea of love is just this feeling yep. or this this fleeting word that we just throw yeah. around. Well, what we what was the phrase? We f- I fell in love. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. You so know. there are. there's actually a lot of phrases. Uh, I, I appreciate you uh, pulling those out. Yeah, so we have the, the first one is falling into or out, out of, of love, yep. right? I mean, how, like, that's just crazy to me. You fell out of love just like you fell into love. Like, oh, man. Um, or I'm head over heels. Yeah. Like you're almost completely out of control. You're tripping over yourself, yeah. right? Um, yep. And then uh, this is an interesting one, the idea of making love. Yeah. Right. Like that's that that kind of gets us into the world's idea of sexuality. Right. But but like, it's interesting that's called in that context. Yeah. That's making, making love. Making love. <laughs> right. Um, and then uh, you have I think I'm getting feelings for, and it's mm-hmm. again that's that's an equation to love. Yeah. Right. Um, and then uh, this is something we see. All over yard signs, uh, it's pretty pervasive on, especially in the Ann Arbor, Saline, yeah. Washtenaw area, Washtenaw County area. And this is the idea that love is love, right? It's this idea that like, who, who are you to say who can love and who cannot love, right? right. Um, and what's sad right. is they even throw a Bible verse yep. on that. And it's found in First John 4, right? God yeah. is love. Right. Um, and it's like... So it makes it sound really good. It does. It does. And so it's like... How can you, I mean, and who are you to judge, right? right. Even then they, they throw that Bible verse on there of, of where <laughs> Jesus says, don't judge because right. what you judge will be judged. You will be judged by, right? Right. right. Uh, nobody ever wants to talk about the context of that verse and how he literally <laughs> says, right. based on the judgment of their fruit, you will know if they're good teachers or not. But hey, yeah. you know, nobody wants to talk about that, right? So it's just there's clearly a, a problem when it comes to these ideas of especially this this last one of love is love. Um, but those are the worldly phrases yeah. that we see that are love, that, that are the, the world's idea of love. And so I, I think, uh, Tom, maybe you can speak to this a little bit more. How has the idea, this idea of love, the worldly idea of love impacted the couples that you sit with well you know it's always interesting we always like to ask couples why are you getting married to this person they go 
they look at us like, well, we love them. Duh. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. What, of course. Of course. You know, and then you, we've seen this over and over again. We do checkup with couples, and all of a sudden, this couple that they love now, there's things that are not as loving. You know, um, someone said... Just so we're clear, that's never happened in my marriage ever, okay? (laughs) Everything about my wife is completely loving. (laughs) Well, as they say, you know, um, love is blind, Yeah. but eventually you'll see. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard that. Yeah. That's hilarious. And it's just interesting because we've seen that. Yeah. And then it becomes a problem because if love is a feeling... Yes. I don't feel loving towards this person anymore therefore right i must not love them wow and you you look at it i mean look at the shows on tv the movies yeah i mean they in the first scene sometimes you know they're making love yeah sometimes in the first scene right and don't and it doesn't even show anything wrong or it's just it's a given yeah you know so we i think that has really become the norm Christian or non-Christian doesn't make yeah. any difference. Yeah, it really has become the norm right. of oh, that's that's love. Yeah, yeah, man. So, uh, I guess let's just kind of summarize this idea then of what the world's idea of love is, and it would you could kind of probably boil it down into to some of these phrases. And these this comes from the book "Know, Be, Live" by John D. Basie. He's the editor. Um, this is um, found on page eighty-two. It says, in the present cultural moment, love is often used either in a sentimental sense or in a sexual sense, right? So either it's used in the idea that it's a feeling, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or it's used right. in the idea that it's a sexual context, yep. right? That's the idea of love, um, right? It's I love my mom, right? That's a different context than I'm making love to my wife, right? right? Those are two different words or two different meanings, but the same word. Well, and we, in the same way we say, I love this car or I love this job. Yep. Absolutely. Which is kind of interesting because it's thinking more about the benefits I get out of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Like I love, I love doing these kinds of things, these podcasts, these recordings. And I love it because I get to sit with people and have really cool conversations. Right. But that's because it benefits me. Exactly. Oh, my goodness, Tom. <laughs> I, I am such a selfish person. <laughs> yeah, aren't, oh. aren't we all? Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's an incredible no, insight. It really, yeah. yeah. It was interesting to me on realizing that. Yeah. On usability. How, how can I use this person? If I can use them, yeah. I love them. Yes. And, and then once I'm done meet. using them. Right. Or, or, or the benefit that they bring no longer benefits right. me because, and, and actually it's now taxing me. Right. And it's actually causing me discomfort. Right. Well, I, I don't really love the things I, that cause me discomfort. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. Um, okay. So then, uh, same book, uh, same page space, eight, page 82 through 83. Uh, this quote says, if love is a feeling, the tasks of loving God, when he, when we don't feel mm. he is there. Or loving our neighbors, especially the unlikable ones, are doomed from the start. Or is that not true? Right. So that's that's kind of the the the, the problem with making the the defining love in a sentimental or sexual way, uh, because then, as you're saying, 
Well, yeah, my annoying neighbor, I don't really want to talk to them because they don't really serve me. They don't benefit me at all. Oh, my goodness, Tom, you just ruined my entire (laughs) perspective here, uh, which is really good. Uh, And then uh, this is uh, another discussion. um, And this, unfortunately, this comes straight from, and I'm sure you've read a little bit of this having a psychology background. uh, This comes from the idea of, uh, and we talked about this book in the uh, in the intro, uh, The Strange New World by Carl Truman. Uh, in chapter four, he talks about how um, human beings are defined down to their sexual inclinations and urges. Mm. And uh, this is what um, uh, Truman says. For Freud, human nature is at its deepest level sexual. Human beings are therefore defined in a basic way by their sexual desires. The idea that sex used used to be something we did, but now sex defines who we are because in a postmodernity sex becomes in postmodernity sex becomes the central point of our lives. And so just to boil that down, uh, the phrase is human beings are defined down to their sexual inclinations and urges. Yeah, yeah. And that's the idea of love is that, well, we're just really looking to satisfy, just like what you're saying. Yeah. We're looking to satisfy our urges. And that's the world's definition of love. And if this person doesn't satisfy my urges, well, then I'm then I, I, I don't I can't be with them. And there's actually this, uh, this other resource, um, building for freedom by Troy Haas, right? We, we were right. going to talk a little bit about that, but, yeah. um, in there he talks about four lies. And one of the lies is that oh, sex yeah. is my greatest need. Right. Right. And, uh, what's so interesting about that is that is the culmination. That's, that's the origin of this statement that human beings are defined down to their sexual inclinations and urges. Yeah. Sex is my greatest need and I need it. And we need to have our needs met. <laughs> Right. And if we don't have our needs met, we can't think or process or do the things. So sex becomes the driving factor in everything we do. Yeah. Uh, and man, what a broken way to see people. Oh, it really is. It is. Yeah, it really is. So uh, that's kind of the worldly idea of uh, of love. Um, uh, you can see this uh, again in the same idea. We fall into love with someone so we can fall out of love. Uh, this is another idea. Love can be commitment free, mm-hmm. right? Um, love is more of an emotional and physical idea as we've talked about. Um, my dad has this phrase, dad, shout out to you. Um, he says, we fall into like, but we choose to love. Yeah, I love that. Because I think that is yeah. so, so true. Yeah. <clears throat> we equate the even the like with love. Right. Um, which is which to- is totally different. Right. So let's kind of unpack what we just talked about this whole thing. We're talking like this is a huge problem. Yeah. But we don't have a reason for it to be a problem. Right. And so I think that that's where we need to kind of take the next dis- discussion here. So let's kind of shift gears <clears throat> for just a second. And let's step into the biblical idea of love. All right, Tom. So from the outset, we need to kind of say our uh, guiding principle principle or premise. premise. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Obviously, you guys know that our hope is that this is a beneficial discussion for 
everyone who listens. So our audience is not just Christians. We want our audience to even be the skeptic. We want our audience to be the non-believer. We want our audience to be people who don't see the Bible necessarily as their authority. However, you should know uh, that Tom and I are coming from a biblical, biblically-centric worldview. So we do see the Bible as an, the authoritative word of God. Um, and, uh, we'll, we, we have other podcasts that unpack that for you. Um, we're going to be actually doing podcasts, uh, up, at least one podcast on that as we head into the summer, um, with Randy, who will be talking about the reliability of the Bible. Um, so we're not going to unpack that here, but just so you guys are aware, our, our initial premise is that the Bible is our governing factor. Um, and Tom, actually, this is a question I, I think I would love to pose to you is, when you do counseling, mm-hmm. you're, you're Christian counselors, you're Christian right. mentors, right? right? Marriage mentors. Your practice is mainly done in a biblical centric way. Right. Uh, but you don't just have uh, Christians that come to you. No, we've had a number of um, non-Christian couples that come and we, you know, sometimes they don't realize that it is on our website. I, I believe we say that pretty clearly, but sometimes they miss that. But we always tell them up front, here's where we're coming from. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we're not going to force it on them. Right. But we do want them to know that still is the framework that we're coming from. And partially, I think, what we're re- where we're heading into this is because we God is the source. You know, First John 4, right. God is the source of love. Right. So I... He really did demonstrate real love. So yeah. I, I think we're we're doing couples a disservice. Yeah. At least not by being upfront about that. Right. But then also even pointing them to because you want to say, how's it going with how your view of the of love is? Yeah. Because I mean the proof's in the pudding. Yeah. I mean in some ways. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no. You know, you can have, I think you can have good marriages without Christ. Yeah. But my, pre- I believe it's because they're practicing Christian principles. Yeah. The, uh, there's a book out there by Frank Turek and it's called Stealing from God. Yeah. And it's this idea that you're, you're like, we don't need God, but you're literally living out all of his commandments. Right. <laughs> it's like, right. where did those come from? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, no, it's really true. Yeah. So let's let's jump into this idea. Now you guys know where we're coming from. Uh, we want to talk about, we have three Hebrew words. You've got one. I've got two. Um, uh, and we've got four Greek words. And so before you shut the podcast off, just bear with us. We won't go into the weeds super far here. Okay. Um, so let's start with the very first word that kind of conflicts with the idea of love. And that actually comes in your word, Tom. Um, do you have that word in front of you? Yes, I do. Okay. What, uh, what is that word? Um, the, it's yada. Yeah. Y- yada. Y- yada is yeah. how you pronounce it. Yeah. Which is so fascinating. Um, it literally means to know deeply or intimately. Yep. And what I found fascinating, I didn't realize this at the time, but um, that word appears in the Old Testament over 940 times. Yeah. Now, it's not that that much sex was in the Old Testament. Right. Say, but <laughs> right. Um, it's often used to describe our intimacy with God. Yeah. His with us and ours with him. Yes. Which I think is a 
beautiful. Yeah. We don't think of that. No. I don't think in a in a real deep no. way. So I, I yeah. love that picture. Well, that's what that's what's so cool is that again the idea of love is that you have this and and you can see this even in the worldly concepts because nobody thinks that it's okay to cheat right on your wife and actually. Yeah, that uh, survey was interesting. Yeah, we have a I have a survey here that I'll I'll pull up here, um, and it actually talks about the idea of extramarital. Uh, relations. It's uh, it's this uh, the Association of Religion Data Archives is where it's where it's found, um, and here's the stat for you guys. Uh, of the people surveyed in 2021, uh, this uh, is the this was 1,667 people said this. Now that's not the total number of people surveyed. It was closer to I'm trying to add it up quickly here. It was closer to about 22. 2,300 people, 2,400 people, something like that, 62% said that extramarital sex, so people having sex outside of their marriage covenant, their marriage uh, commitment, was always wrong. 62.9% said it's always wrong to do that. And when you scroll down and you look at this based on uh, worship attendance, even the people who never attend worship, 48% of them said it is always wrong to have sex outside of marriage. Which is amazing when you think about that, that it's, it's something in us. Yes. Um, maybe that is saying, suggesting that we were created in God's image. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, that right? there, is, there is that sense yeah. of, of rightness and a wrongness. Right, right, Absolutely. So this idea of yada sounds like it's just more of a knowledge thing. Sounds like it's more of just a knowing thing. But we all, if, if you you can you can see that in any relationship, if you don't know someone at a deep level, yeah. uh, you're almost always manipulating them in some way. Especially if you're trying to utilize them to fulfill your urges, your sexual urges. Yeah. Um, like your song said. Yeah. Hello, I love you. Can you tell me? Won't you please tell me your name? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a huge indication that yeah. somebody's just using you. Right. Yeah. Well, and when I gave that big quote, you know, that love is a feeling. Yeah. And I never thought of this before, but then I thought the counteraction, the action, reaction of that, um, or the opposite of that. I'm sorry, is for God so loved, He gave. Yes. He didn't. It didn't say for God so loved, He felt goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, for yeah. God so loved, he gave. Yeah. And no wonder it says that in that we said again in First John, God's the source of love. Right. And that made because he, he demonstrated it. Yes. By his own by his own life. Yes. And uh, even to that point, right? Um, no one, no one thinks. I heard this. The someone was telling me. Maybe it was you, Tom, when we were talking about this. But they they heard this idea that God was desperately in love with us. Hmm. And I was like, oh, desperately? <laughs> like, oh, I'm so in love with you. I hope you love me too. Like this like yeah. this desperation of love. And I was like, I don't think that that's, that's not how we describe God's love, right. Right? right? It's not this like, oh, I'm so overwhelmed with love to you. I just get these tingly winglies and I'm just so in love with you. And oh my gosh, the goosebumps I'm getting. You know, it's like, that's not, no, that's not God. No, 
No, instead it was, he loved so much. He gave, Yeah. he served, he died. Right. Well, and isn't it, you know, I think when we're talking about the contrast, the worldly concept of love, we alluded to this is really more selfish. Yeah. You know, whereas God's love is really much more to give. Yeah. It's, it's not to get. It's yeah. To, it's it's to give, which yeah. I think is pretty powerful. Yeah. So that brings us to some uh, more uh, Hebrew words that we have here. You have ahava is this idea of affection or care. Um, for a person that's shown to an, uh, another person. Um, this is the, the other ideas are the ideas of parental love or spousal love, brotherly love, um, love or affection or adoration for a leader, um, loyalty. Uh, even they even have, they show this word as used between political allies, right? So when, uh, Israel comes in and starts signing treaties with the people they weren't supposed to sign treaties with, um, they use this term ahava. Um, and you also see this with, when God declares this, that's the passage that's most clearly seen in this is Deuteronomy six. It's the Shema here is your, the Lord, your God, the Lord is one Mm -hmm. love the Lord, your God Mm -hmm. with all of your heart, with all your soul, uh, with all your strength. And that word there is the Ahava be loyal to choose to follow, um, um, uh, obey, right? Love the Lord because the right underneath that is take these commandments and hear them and obey them. Hear, O Israel, is this idea that you hear and do, right? And it's by your doing that you display your love for the, the being um, or the person that you're um, uh, having a covenant with, right? Uh, then you have this other one, and this is a, a, another one that's really cool. Is This is Chesed. Uh, Randy actually talked about this in our last podcast in, uh, when we talked about hell, Um this is found in Exodus fifteen thirteen. Um, this is the the loyal or unfailing love, um, and and you see this throughout all of the Psalms. You see this everywhere that this idea of God's faithful, loyal, covenantal love, um, and uh, so these three words are really important to understanding even the New Testament's idea of love, uh, because you have this intrinsic, deep, uh, penetrating, intimate knowledge of someone. And even in his knowledge, he loves us. And that's the example that we're given, right? Um, as God is the source of love, as you see in, yeah. in, in first John, which we'll, we'll get to in a second here. And so, uh, kind of, uh, pulling from, uh, the no be live again, uh, this is kind of the summary idea of the old Testament's idea of love. Love is an idea that encompasses the entire being. It is a selfless idea. Self-sacrificial loyalty is the word that he uses here. In other words, the idea of love is blind actual is actually not true for old Testament authors. It is the very idea that love can see everything that makes love what it is. Mm. And this is kind of the thing I want, I would love for our audience to take away uh, from this section. Love is a self-sacrificial choice to be loyal to another regardless of the cost. And so when we contrast that, Tom, with the idea of falling into love, you can't do that. Right. Right. With that definition, it is impossible. So you're sitting with, it is impossible to fall. This is not a mistake. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. It is a self-sacrificial choice. Yeah. So when you're sitting with couples and because you guys unpack the idea that uh, out of Ephesians, right? Right. That the bride is to love, uh, that, that the, uh, the, the groom is to love the bride as Christ loved the church. How do you point that out to them? And what's that revelation like? You said you've talked to couples even afterwards of like, there's stuff I don't like about this person. <laughs> well, and one of the things we talk about is, you know, if love is a feeling, well, then that's understandable. Then that's going to change. Yeah. But love love is a, is a choice of the will, is a commitment of the will. Yeah. It's, it's not, I mean, the feelings come and go, Right. But when I when I choose to love, I can actually grow in love. I right. don't fall in love. I right. grow in love. Right. And I think that's what couples have seen, what we've seen with couples and what yeah. we really try to emphasize. Yeah. You know, the importance of that. Yeah. Um, to ha- but to have I've got to be filled with love myself yeah. in order to give love. Yeah. I can't give what I don't have. Right. You know. Right. Uh, so let's jump into the New Testament. Uh, so there's actually four Greek words. Uh, we're only going to talk about two of them uh, today um, because we don't really have time to talk about all of the all of these ideas. Um, and so we're just going to talk about these two um, these two ideas or these two words because they're really the words uh, that are most used in the New Testament. Um, uh, and we should just at least touch on uh, this other this other word because it's used a lot in um, the context of these words. So you have three words that we're going to talk about. You have phileo, which is the idea of friendship. You have agape, which is the idea of a charity in the highest form is the idea of love there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, so, so you have agape, you have phileo, but then you also have this idea of eros. And eros is this idea of romantic love. Mm-hmm. Now, it's really important that we understand uh, there is some, uh, if you're looking at the space, there's this discussion uh, where Peter is asked by Jesus uh, about, uh, he's, the, the terms go back and forth between agapeo yep. and phileo. Yep. Uh, I actually just found this while we were reading this, uh, or while we were preparing for this, that those there's very few people in the early church that see the flip-flop mm-hmm. of those words as having any significant meaning mm-hmm. um which is important i think because what that means then is that means that friendship and charity have to go hand in hand mm-hmm. right you cannot have this idea of Phileo and agape and eros, you can't have these guys, these ideas be disjointed. They have to be together. And so uh, if you have somebody who is purely eros, they're out there for sexual urges. If you have somebody who's yeah. purely phileo, well, then they're just a friend. But you would be charitable with your friend <laughs> so they can be interchangeable yeah. uh, in that way. Um and so uh, I think what's actually a better space to go is where you went with First John 4 and the idea that God is the source of love. Yeah. So how we define love has to encompass that, especially if we're going to continue with our emphasis that the Bible is what we say the Bible is, that it's our authority. 
And so, uh, Tom, you say you've you've brought this out, which I think is really important, um, is that you you've articulated that in that space, it's not that God is love and that he is uh, the idea of love, right. but that he is the source of all love. Can you unpack that for us a little bit? Well, it's just where, you know, the John three sixteen I referred to earlier, for yeah. God so loved that he gave his only son. Um, in Romans 5, 8, you know, while we were still sinners, right? you know, he died for us. We didn't have to clean ourselves up. That's, yeah. that is real biblical love. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I also think, sometimes I think love is hard to define. But what I find interesting is it's easy to describe. Yeah. In 1 Corinthians 13, yeah. as you well know, I, I think... If you want to measure to know, are you really in love with this person? And what does it look like for you to love this person? Yeah. It's the first Corinthians 4, 3, 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. Yeah. Um, does not envy. It does not boast. It it goes on. It's There's no selfishness yeah. of that. It is truly the concept of giving, giving, giving. Um, and that is so, so contrary. Yeah. To the world's concept yeah. of love. Uh, to kind of summarize, then, um, this is how I guess you could uh, see the biblical definition of love. Uh, again, this is coming from uh, page eighty-three on No Be Live. Love, as God designed it, is to be directed toward another. To reduce love to feelings or sexual instinct is to turn love wholly inward, rendering it nothing like it was created to be. Mm. So it gets back to that definition that we had. And the thing that we would like for everybody to take away um, from is that love is a self-sacrificial choice to be loyal to another, regardless of the cost. Mm. And Matt, I might add too, I, I think in, in marriages and in relationships, what I've seen is because I, when people say, I just don't love them anymore, mm. therefore I'm going to get a divorce. I'm not talking about abuse or stuff like that, but I'm talking there's no abuse. They just, quote, don't love the person anymore. Right. And I have seen in relationships when people are willing to stick it out and work through it, Yeah, um, it gives them the best chance for becoming the right kind of partner, Right. of growing in that conflict, of growing deeper and and taking advantage, really, of how God wants to use that in our lives when there is a conflict. Right. He wants to use that to grow us into his image. And I think sometimes we short-circuit it, which yeah. deeply grieves me. Yeah. And, and then the kids are impacted by oh, that when there's man. kids involved. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we've talked about the worldly definition of, of love. We've talked about the biblical definition of love. Uh, now let's kind of jump into this idea of the worldly idea of sexuality. And we've kind of already alluded to this, so we don't need to spend a ton of time on this. Yeah. Um, but from, I mean, and this, is, this, this even steps into our conclusion a little bit, but just the way technology has pervaded or per, per, perversed, there we go, perversed the idea of sexuality. Um, we'll, we'll get to this in a second, but you've got things like TikTok, Instagram. Uh, I mean, you've got the hookup culture, which is yep. so pervasive. 
Um, it renders the the idea of sexuality down to an urge, just like the Freudian idea. Right. Um, and he's not the only one. I mean, you've got Rousseau and all of these other people in the early 1800s that are coming out with these ideas. Um, and and so there's there's a whole gamut of historical context behind what we're talking about. Freud was just kind of the guy who was like, yeah, everybody's sexual. (laughs) Right. Okay. Um, And so he reduced us down to at our nature, at our telos, at our design, what we're created for is sex. Uh, And I think that that kind of summarizes the worldly definition, if you will. Yeah. That we are designed for sex. And that's kind of a full stop, right? And the world has kind of adopted that. You see that in media ads. You see that in, um, uh, again, the Instagram, the TikToks, the Snapchats, the pornography, all of that stuff. Um, It's kind of the worldly idea of sex. It's really just there for your pleasure. Yeah. And so, Eve, again, because we're coming from a biblical worldview, so we're we're looking at this idea of... Uh, of how is sex supposed to be expressed. And this is, again, where the biblical idea of marriage, uh, again, we want to be very clear here, there's a lot of descriptive things in the Bible that are not prescriptive. Yes. So yes. you see uh, King Solomon, right. wisest king of all kings, and he's got like, what, 700 wives? Right. And, and like and concubines. And concubines, <laughs> right? Which are yeah. literally just people you have sex right. with. Right. Like... Um, like literally harems. That's right. that there were ide- the ideas of that, and that's so backwards to the idea. Um, and he wrote arguably two of the most important wisdom yeah. books in the Bible. Right. Um, and he goes completely against the Deuteronomic laws of not having many wives. Right. Um, and so again, we want this to be very clear that the biblical idea of marriage is between a man and a woman. And that that is where the expression of sex finds itself in its holiest form. That that's how God designed sexuality. It was between a man and a woman in the uh, confines of the marriage union. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, Julie um, Flattery in her book, uh, 25 Questions, yeah. you'll, that'll be on the reference part. Yeah. But she made this quote, when our sexuality is confusing... God becomes confusing. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so true because yeah. we go, we when you go back to the original, how God designed it, and you start skewing that, yeah. then anything becomes Correct. good. But if God is the one that originated sex, yeah. that we don't think about that. Right. <laughs> but God is the one. We didn't think right. it up. God did. Right. Um, it really does impact, and it should impact. Right our view of sex and sexuality Correct. that he's created us yeah. um, truly in that way. Yeah. But not to the, and again, just to, to reiterate, not to the design of that's all you were created no, for. Like correct. Freud is talking about, correct. but that we were created as sexually expressive beings yes. and that's okay. Um, we don't want to go as far as the purity culture to say, uh, no. don't ever express your sexuality until you get married. No. And when you do get married, <laughs> you'll have a great sex life because you right. were pure, right? Like that's not what we're saying. Right. Um, but what we are saying is, is that again, there is a biblical prescription 
before sex and marriage. And Christopher Yuan has this book, Holy Sexuality, um, that is incredibly good. We've talked about it several times uh, to our students. Uh, It's called Holy Sexuality uh, by Christopher Yuan. And uh, he says that the only biblical way to define holy sexuality is chastity in singleness Mm -hmm. and fidelity in marriage. And he says that's, that is the only expression of sexuality that you can find biblically. Um, and so, uh, Julie Slattery's book will have that in the references. The Holy sexuality is another reference we'll also have there. Um, and just so you guys know, uh, this is literally, uh, from Paul's own words. Let me just jump over into to scripture here and we'll just talk briefly about this. Um, but in first Thessalonians four, we get a very clear definition of how, of what God is trying to, uh, of, of, of whose authority this is. Cause you said we didn't make this up, right? Right. This isn't our standard. Right. Um, this is what it says. It says, uh, starting in, we're going to speak specifically to verses one through eight. Um, uh, this is what it says. Finally, then brothers and sisters, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received instruction from us about how you must live and please God as you are in fact living, that you do so more and more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, that you become holy, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own body in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. In this matter, no one should violate the rights of his brother or sister or take advantage of him because the Lord is the avenger in all these cases. As we have also told you earlier and warned you solemnly, for God did not call us to impurity but to holiness. Here's where this is really important. Consequently, the one who rejects this is not rejecting human authority but God who gives his Holy spirit to you. Mm-hmm. This is not our prescription, <laughs> right? Right. This yeah. is not our rule. This is decided by God. And if you are a Bible believing Christian, anything outside of the law, the, the realm of a covenant committed self-sacrificial marriage Anything outside of those bond, binds, or those that con, those confines, yeah. is considered unholy sexuality. Now, and Tom, you can speak to this, and this is something we should we should certainly make sure is known, is that if you're somebody who's maybe listened to this and you have experienced sexuality outside of the confines of marriage, a lot of what we're saying can cause a lot of shame. Yes, and. Uh, th- in particular, even when we shift gears towards pornography, pornography is a shame-driven entity. And I think it's really, really important for us to understand that we are not communicating this in a judgmental or shame-filled way because Jesus Christ has washed us of those broken things. Well, and that's where 1 John 1, 9 is so, so important. If we confess our sins, he is faithful mm-hmm. and just yes. and will Yes. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes. So one of the things I tell people all the time, when you are being attacked 
as a person in your personhood, that's that's from Satan. God mm-hmm. never attacks us. You you adulterer or you you liar. Mm-hmm. You know, he will say you lied. He will go to the action. You lied yeah. in that situation. Yeah. And that's I think it's really important because the shame we can feel guilty. That's from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But shame is not because it's attacking us as a person. Correct. So yeah, if we want to make that very clear, I agree, Matt. It's so important. If there's been brokenness in in your life, don't live under the shame. God's yeah. taking care of that on the cross. Right. And uh, live in freedom yeah. because of what He's done. Right. Right. So now let's talk about our computer screens. We've, just a quick recap, we've talked about the world and its definition of sex and love. Uh, We talked about the Bible's idea of sex and love and how you can see that those two are pretty starkly contrasted. And now we're going to shift towards uh, the idea of our computer screens and technology. And uh, we don't want to just make this about pornography and porn websites and pornographic videos and those kinds of things because uh, personally, porn, I think, has a much broader definition than we should we should have, we, we should categorize it. Um, and so we just want to give you guys a quick definition of what we're saying pornograph- pornography is. So we're talking about the same term. Um so pornography in our mind is this. I'm going to say it slowly so you guys can you guys can hear this because it is it is a, a bit of a longer one. So here's here's the definition of porn that we're basing things off of. Any media that causes a person to dehumanize or objectify another human being for one's own pleasure. So I'll say that again. It's any media that causes another person to dehumanize or objectify another human being for the sake of one's own pleasure. Uh, And so just to kind of uh, throw that to you, Tom, uh, we're really trying to paint a broader brush, right, than just the fact of, uh, okay, I I went to this porn site and I watched this porn video, right? Um, We want to paint a broader brush because... It can. I personally think that porn has been, is is or pornography is a much broader category. Well, and I think it's easy to feel like, hey, I don't view it, so it's so it's not affecting me. When the truth is, you know, pornography affects you whether you ever viewed it or not. Yeah, you are surrounded by people based on the stats. Right, you are surrounded by people who are actively involved. Right in it and we are foolish to think it has not and is not affecting their thoughts their perception of how they are relating to other people right so just to give you guys an idea of what you're talking about tom with how pornography has affected you whether or not you've watched it or not if you look at any of these commercials nowadays i mean you could take any number of them but one in particular that uh aired on national tv uh, so you didn't have to be watching a special event for this was um, one where they took uh, volleyball players, female volleyball players, and they uh, panned over to this guy eating a burger mm. and they compared the two 
as being mutually or equally satisfying. And it doesn't take a PhD in psychology to know that they're trying to equate these humans, these people playing volleyball, as being there for a person's pleasure, just like a burger is there to satisfy your desire for food or your hunger. Yeah, and I think it's an example, too, where I think you and I have seen this. Pop culture is is really grooming people, I think especially women, you know, um, slowly chipping away at their self-esteem, stripping them of a sense of their human being, that their only value is what they offer sexually. Yeah. Which is just not true and not the gospel at all. No, um, with what God has said, and that's what's so crazy about that too is that you get these critics who will be like, "Oh, you know, um, uh, the Bible is so anti-woman," and you're like, "Well, well, no, it's actually not. Right? It's incredibly woman-affirming." Yes, and it's like, I mean, you look at Jesus and his disciples, and how many of them were women, and who, why are there women who find the empty tomb, and and all of these things, which is a total tangent we don't have time to talk about, but. <laughs> Man, when you look at the actual description of the gospel and how the Bible depicts women, it save three verses that are oftentimes ripped out of context. There is all of these other examples and illustrations of how the Bible affirms the female as being multidimensional instead of this, what you could describe as a single dimension entity that's just there for my pleasure, just there to satisfy me sexually, right? Um, so definition of porn, any media, any media that causes one to, to dehumanize or objectify another human being for one's own pleasure. So this would be something for those students or those, the, those younger people who are watching this audience in, in the audience for this, this episode, we are defining that as Instagram, right? TikTok, um, uh, uh, Snapchat. I mean, or any number of the dating apps that you swipe right and swipe left on. Well, I don't really like the way this person's arms look. Swipe left, right? Like that's not, that's not humanizing. That's not bringing value. That's dehumanizing and objectifying another human. And so the reason why we're saying that is because the majority of our students, while maybe operating under the impression of porn being a good place for education, you are also participating in pornography when you send fire emoji eyes uh, to the girl who posts a, a picture of a bikini. And for the girl who's posting a picture of the guy doing massive amounts of squats with his shirt off, you are also objectifying that person. Well, no, 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 we're not. We're not doing that. But you're feeding into that person's identity that that is what makes me valuable. Yeah. That that my picture in a bikini is what makes me valuable. When you get all those lovely likes. Yes. <laughs> that is proven to send a dopamine hit. Yes. Right. It's literally science. You yes. cannot get around it. Right. And we're evidence based, so we're not going to just not do something because it. You know, we don't like it. We're going to not do something because it's it's factually bad for you. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it grieves me too how pornography, I think, teaches men in particular mm. to view w- women as objects rather than to be in a relationship with a woman. Yeah. And it gives men the false impression that sex and pleasure are entirely divorced from a relationship. Right. 
So um, let's just talk quickly about these stats because I think this yes. stat actually jumps to that. Um, on Fight the New Drugs website, literally fightthenewdrug.org, you can look at all of these websites. They have footnotes to all of these statements. So you can look and see where this research is coming out of. Uh, as far as, Tom, what you just read, the harm to human relationships. Research shows that people who consume porn tend to become less satisfied in their relationships, Mm -hmm. less committed to their partner, and more accepting of cheating. Um, As far as this idea of violent content or they become more aggressive, right? Again, a harm to civilization at large, but relationships in general. Right. This is what they say about just the content of titles and what's actually in the videos. So one out of every eight porn titles that are shown to first-time porn users on a porn site, they the title describes acts of sexual violence. And at least one in three porn videos, so that's a third of all pornographic videos, show some form of sexual violence or aggression. I mean, so just those two stats alone, right? Cannot you cannot say that these are beneficial? This is beneficial media, right? Right. So let's go to another one. Um, unrealistic expectations. Despite how unrealistic and toxic porn can be, one in four young adults list pornography as the most helpful source to learn how. To have sex. That's 25% of all young adults. 53% of boys and 39% of girls believe that pornography is a realistic depiction of sex. And what you described was that pornography actually tells the woman she should never say no. Right. She should be there for the man's pleasure. She should be willing to have sex with whoever's willing to have she sex with her. She never gets pregnant. And she never gets <laughs> pregnant, right? And those are things that are just patently false. Right. Right? So now we've just we've just unpacked two things. Harm to human relationships, violence in society, and you have unrealistic expectations. Now let's look at age of exposure. And this is actually true of my story. Most kids today are exposed to porn by age 13 with 84.4% of males, and this is crazy, 57% of females ages 14 to 18 having viewed porn. So this is no longer, we, okay, so now we've uh, unpacked that it's now violent, violence to human relationships. It causes unrealistic expectations, and as a counselor, right. when somebody has unrealistic expectations that aren't met, is that good or bad for the relationship? <laughs> bad usually bad right (laughs) bad and then on top of that you now have the age of exposure kids are not supposed to watch pornography there's a reason for that yeah and it's saying here that most kids today are exposed to porn by age 13 well then uh, research also shows the neural pathways of what of what happens over a course of time and it it's I don't want to say it's permanent, but it is lasting. The good news is jumping ahead, it can change. Yes. It can be reversed. One hundred percent. But the truth is it it just sets it up right. in an unhealthy way. Right. In our minds. Yeah. In your physical brain. Yes. Right. In your physical brain. Those neurons and myelin sheaths and firing points and all of that yep. nonsense, those are all being trained to fire in a particular pattern. Right. And 
honestly praise God for neuroplasticity. Yeah. Right. Praise God that he hardwired a cure. Yes. For our stupidity. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so uh, these are all the ideas of research now. And then you might be like, well, look, porn is just it's just a me thing. It's not hurting the world. It's not hurting anybody. It's, okay. It's just only thing I do in the bedroom yep. or. Yep. It's just me and my computer screen. Right. Right. So this is exploitation and human trafficking. Research involving current and former porn performers suggests that exploitation and trafficking are common experiences in the porn industry. With pornography, listen to this very carefully. With pornography ranking as the third most common form of trafficking, and that's reported to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Mm. So this is where this becomes really key is it is not just about your bedroom. Right. It is about every person who's been on that video that they don't have control over where their content goes. Right. Right. So Elizabeth Smart actually is one of the, I think she's one of the co-founders of Fight the New Drug. She actually was a part of the Brain Heart World docuseries we actually showed here to our students. She talked about how when she was, she was kidnapped, I think when she was 13, I could be wrong, uh, but I think she was kidnapped uh, at a, a younger age. Hmm. And she was forced to watch pornography and then act out the scenes with her kidnapper. And so what's crazy about that, and there are a number of other people in that documentary, a docuseries where they talk about, I don't know where my media is. I don't know where that content went. But even still, even if every person knows where their content went, you, you cannot get away from all of the other stats that I just read. And right. there are more. This is just on their homepage. And they have over a thousand research articles that all talk about the dangers of pornography on the mind and the brain. And so all of this to kind of come back to our original question of what has technology done to this idea of love and sexuality and how does the Bible speak to that? Yeah. Well, the, one of the first words that come to my mind is warped. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and you don't, it's kind of like the the old example of the frog. In, in, in the pot. In the yeah. pot. You know. The boiling if, water. If he were thrown in jump, uh, boiling water, he'd jump out. Right. But that's where culture is just grooming. Yeah. And without us even seeing it. Yeah. And telling it where you. I mean, I just think of what I see on TV now compared to in my younger years. It is just appalling. Right. And and we we're numb to it. I mean, we it doesn't. Oh, that's not that bad. Right. But when you compare it to like an old TV show, you know, to what we're seeing today. Yeah. It's it's alarming. It is. It really is alarming. And for all of, you know, the. The, this world's idea of what justice is. I, I mean, let's just take, I mean, you can't take the Bible out of it because that's where we do get a lot of our morals. If you're even right. not, not even, even if you're not a believer, even if you don't believe there's a God, you're stealing from God when you have morals. So, right. um, well, it's evolutionary. That's a totally different discussion. But <laughs> what, what's so fascinating is that this world's idea of justice, you, you, you cannot say that the things that I just read to you coincide with even the world's definition of justice. Right. When it increases violence, 
It increases the brokenness of human relationships. It, I mean, like those are those are terms that are used for for slavery. Yeah. Right. Like you cannot tell me that those are good things. And don't hear me that I'm comparing the atrocities of Americanized slavery to the porn industry. But you cannot marry, if you have a worldview of justice, you cannot marry justice and as you define it and say, yeah, porn's a good thing. You can't do that. I'd almost would say porn is a modern day slavery. It, you, honestly. I never thought of that before. Yeah. But I think it's a, it's a great example. Yeah, because you are always desperately in need of it quote unquote right. air quotes on that need right? right but your neuroplasticity cries out for it if you're anxious it's like a drug uh i mean th- there have been studies that have even compared it to cocaine yeah and what's crazy is cocaine addicts that become addicted to porn say porn is harder to break than cocaine wow i mean like th- like there's, it's just an embarrassing amount of bad publicity. Like, how do you get around this? Yeah. And how you get around it is you have a society that has over-sexualized everything. Yeah. From Instagram to TikTok to every single thing. Every dance that's out there is suggestive or gets you to look at something you're not supposed to look at. I mean, everything about it pulls you in and sucks you dry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, Matt, you and I know... Um, when you hear all of this stuff, it's pretty sobering. And, yeah. and yet, I think if there's people out there listening to this, don't feel doom and gloom. Right. Because um, mm. it, it is very discouraging. Yeah. But the truth is, what we have found, you know, freedom from life-dominating sin, and particularly with pornography, yeah. can only happen through, we believe, through a life dominating relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Um, you know, we must change our dependency on sex to a desperate dependency on God to meet our needs for love, yes. acceptance, security, and significance. Yeah. Um, there's no magic formula, no quick fix. Right. But freedom is built one day at a time Ugh. through his good work in us and our daily dependence on the faithful one of Jesus Christ and having accountability with other people, especially for with guys, with guys, yes, and women with women. Yes. Not, not no. in going between. Yeah. Um, it's women, gotta be, it's got, it cannot be a guy with a girl. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I think Tom, you're really, you're really hitting on the gospel. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's where, okay. So is it my will? And what I want, or is it my king's will and what he wants? Yeah. And, I mean, that's true of my story, right? And and it comes down to a, uh, I mean, I hear about these worship leaders who will get on there, and they'll, they'll say, I prayed this prayer at this amazing retreat, and it was incredible, and this guy laid hands on me, and it's been, I've been two years clean. And then you hear six months later, they've acted inappropriately with, a female at their church. Yeah. And it breaks my heart. Yeah. But what God could do that. God but. could do that. Yeah. God <laughs> could do that. That, that all, that's all real. But man, I just see more and more that it is what you just said, yeah. a life dominating dependency on Christ. Yeah. And, and that's that he, available to anyone. It's available that's, to anybody. That's great news. It is. And you know, another thing too, cause I think we had talked about earlier, 
Satan works with shame. Yeah. And one of the most powerful things I've ever heard was your past does not define you. Absolutely. Jesus defines you. 100%. And he says you are an incredible right. being created in his image. Yeah. Um, that's essential being in yeah. a good, healthy way. Yeah. And to live in light of that truth is, yeah. is really powerful. Yeah. So that kind of makes me think the question that we kind of want to leave you guys with today is in spite of all of the doom and gloom, I think it really does come down to with anything, whose knee mm-hmm. do you bow to? Yes. Regardless. And, and, and with that, you're not going to be freed immediately. I mean, he could, that could happen. But within that, regardless of the circumstances you find yourself, are you willing to bow your knee regardless of the brokenness that's in your life? Yes. And what's beautiful about what you just said is that God doesn't work in shame. Satan does. Yeah. And what's beautiful also is that that life liberating dependency on Jesus is available to anyone. Yes. And God is the God of hope. Oh, Satan's the God of hopelessness. Yes. So don't be discouraged. Don't think you are way beyond right. any help or hope. You are not. No. And I think that's the thing I would love our, our, our audiences to walk away with if they've yes. lasted this long. Um, <laughs> is honestly that there's never, no matter what your background is, no matter what your past of sexual brokenness is, we are all sexually broken in some way. As even your quote said there, that porn has affected you whether you've watched it or not. Right. We are all sexually broken people. Yeah. And so regardless of that, God is a God of hope. God is a God of value. He has put value in you regardless of what you've watched, regardless of who you've lied to, regardless of who you've exploited or what you've done or what you've done. Regardless, he still says, I'll die for you. Yeah. And man, if that doesn't cause like, that's what keeps me coming back to Jesus. Yeah is that I could be as broken of a human being as possible. And he would still say, man, there's a lot of brokenness. I'd love to live. I'd love to fix that with you. Yeah. And that's a friendship I want. That's a friendship I need. Yes. And that's a king I want to bow to. Yes. Oh, man. Good stuff. Very good. Tom, thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure and a joy. Yeah. And uh, this has been a lot of fun. Um, Yes. We could probably do a whole nother podcast on just <laughs> pornography. Um, but I think I appreciate your uh, your wisdom and we appreciate all the work you do with married couples. Uh, I know that that's a service Katie and I have participated in and, and I cannot thank you enough for all that you do and um, just how God's using you in incredible and um, magnificent ways. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here, man. You bet. All right. Everybody, thank you guys for listening. We will uh, see you guys uh, next month. Uh, Be looking for the next episode of uh, The Light Switch. And like, subscribe, share with a friend uh, if you found this helpful. Um, And we have all of our resources in the description box below the episode. Um, Also, I always forget to do this. Huge shout out to Pastor Erin. She makes all of our episode art. 
Uh, so be sure to check that if you think this is super Where cool. Where you go, Aaron. Right? It's incredible, the stuff she makes. So uh, let's, uh, we'll see you guys later. Thanks so much for joining us. 